0: Hi, thanks for listening in to episode 12 of the Sports Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Levine, and once again, I'm delighted you're with me, and I'm excited to hear the fantastic insights, wisdom, and achievements of our guest today. Now, on last week's show, we had Nathan Wood, who is currently lead for the ECB on the specialist and international coaching programs, but was also a professional sports person earlier in his career. Well, today's special guest is Rachel McKenzie, also a professional athlete, Rachel is the World tie Boxing Champion after only starting the sport when at university. She has competed at traditional bare-knuckle b- tie boxing. She has also overcome many challenges and prejudices within her career, which I'm really looking forward to hearing about. I know this will be an amazing conversation with Rachel, touching on eating disorders, mindset, knocking people out, preparation for performance, and being a parent. There is so much to cover, so let me introduce today's special guest, World tie Boxing Champion, mother and now a neuro physiotherapist, Rachel McKenzie. Rachel, it's great to have you with me on the Sports Stories podcast. Thanks for giving up your time today. I'm really conscious that it's probably been about 15 years or so since we last spoke, although I know that we we live quite close to each other and I've followed your journey and a lot of the work that you've been doing. And I'm obviously very keen to hear a bit more about your earliest story, Um, given I know how impactful it was when I first heard it and I know that you continue to use your story to share, inspire, motivate uh, and just encourage people to have a really purposeful, meaningful life. So instead of me giving too much more away of what I know about you, can you give us a bit of an insight into who you are um, and include your first memory of sport?
1: Well, I suppose a headline that, you know what, got me on the podcast really is my success as an athlete isn't it so um, I'm a a world champion in Thai boxing and British boxing champion and have been fortunate enough to represent my country um, in both of those sports um, and continue to to play sport and challenge myself in different sports but sport really has always been um, a big part of of who I am you know as a as a youngster at primary school um, I think my PE teacher was probably the most influential person Um, in the whole of my life at that time really Um, he was a a male newly qualified PE teacher who was really passionate about girls being allowed to do everything so you know obviously I'm 40 now and (laughs) in those uh, earlier days sport for girls was very different it looked very different you know we ran around in our PE knickers playing netball and Mr. Gilgrass was really, really interested in letting us do the things that the boys were doing. So we played rugby. We had no other schools to play against because no other girls in the region were playing rugby. We played cricket. But it was that lesson at the very beginning of my sporting journey that was about girls being empowered to do anything. Um, unfortunately, my high school experience of PE wasn't so great. And actually, by the time I was 16, I'd stopped playing sport at all. Wow, 16, you stopped. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How how come? What what
1: happened there? Well, I think that experience probably resonates with lots of girls. So, sport that was offered didn't make me feel comfortable comfortable about myself. I had an eating disorder that meant that I was really conscious about moving and being exposed and failing but I just didn't feel connected to any of the sports that were on offer, and sport wasn't encouraged or pushed um, and actually, my sort of self destruction at that time kind of took me down a path of you know going out drinking, dancing, doing all of the kind of things that actually really when you don 't feel good about yourself, you do to try and i suppose punish yourself in a way or mask some of that um, emotion that you don't know where to place, Uh, so by the time I went to university, I probably hadn't done any real sport for, you know, maybe two or three years, Um, and and Thai boxing, uh, as you know, I found by accident um, at university, at the behest of one of my university colleagues, who essentially forced me to go with it, because she didn't want to go on her own. (laughs) How old were you when you first um, sort of participated in Thai boxing then? Uh, Well, we we went into the club in my first year at university. So I would have been 18 uh, the first time I ever walked into a gym. And I can still remember the first time I walked into this Thai boxing gym. The gym was opposite where I lived. um, And I remember it it was above a nightclub. It had a a white door that was shut all the time. Um, And my friend and I waited till everybody else had gone in and then kind of snuck into this um, this gym to see what was going on really uh, and the coach that was running the gym it was a very male uh, space there were no women in there and the coach was really of the thought that women weren't suitable you know this was not a sport for women and he wouldn't let us join in um, he oh. you know literally shut the door in our face you know we weren't allowed to join in um, so i think partly out of annoyance Uh, And partly because uh, my friend was very uh, forceful, uh, we continued to go just to annoy him. So (laughs) we'd turn up every day and we'd sit on the bench and we'd just, you know, have a chat, give him the the stare, wait for his annoyance to to rise, and then we'd go home. (laughs) Um, And then eventually he let us put some gloves on and train on our own. Uh, But you know, it wasn't a, a comfortable environment to to experience a sport in to begin with, but actually the very first time that I hit the pads, I mean it was literally like a switch for me. So I put the gloves on, punched the pads, and immediately felt different. What and was ex- what was that feeling? Well, I think it was about feeling powerful, about feeling strong. You know, the the pad made a noise, my friend's hand went back and and I don't think I'd ever felt that before. Um, And even just that, I think the movement that you get from a sport like boxing, the movements themselves are powerful, you know, and now I've I've learned a lot about the impact of movement on the body. You know, it's really obvious why you feel different when you exercise and when you exercise in a, a way that's powerful. But at the time, it was just a feeling that I had, and it was a feeling that drove me to keep wanting to, well, punch things, really, to go and keep punching the bag or, you know, to, to feel that change every day.
0: I'm curious, though, about how, how you managed to stick at it when, you know, the, the door was closed in your face, you know, you weren't very welcomed into, into that environment you know you were probably quite low in your self-esteem given the journey you'd been you'd not been involved in sport there was a lot of things stacked up against you and yet you continued to go you persisted and you know you found something that you enjoyed and i'm just wondering what it is what what was within you that inspired you and kept you there
1: well to begin with i was with a friend and i think when we think about girl sport particularly, yeah. and when we look at dropout for teenagers, how can we make this a social event? You know, my friend wanted to go, she wanted to get a bit fitter. She'd already, ex- she'd already done Thai boxing before at, okay. um, at, at her home location. So she kind of knew what she was doing a little bit. So it didn't matter that the coach didn't teach us anything because she could kind of guide it a bit. Um, and by the time she decided it was too boring and we didn't want to go anymore, i think the progress that i'd made just in terms of being able to control myself physically meant that i'd started to take control of myself more emotionally and and i also felt in a way that it was important for me i could feel that this was part of my progression in life you know my recovery my progress that it was the thing that made me different feel differently behave differently be able to cope with life better there's something there
0: about taking back control isn't there and and finding a direction
1: yes absolutely and and, you know it wasn't for me I never set out to be an athlete I never wrote on a piece of paper I want to be a champion you know I, I didn't ever have any intention of getting in the ring to fight what I wanted to do was to feel better and I wanted to feel stronger and actually that step into the ring was about taking control it was about taking control of people saying to me you can't do it because of who you are because of what you look like, because you're a girl.
0: Why a, a combative sport and a kind of an aggressive sport rather than a, you know, a, a hockey or something like that, do you think?
1: Um, well, I think probably my experiences of hockey and netball and those traditional sports had been really negative as a, as a teenager. Right. You know, I'd, I'd been relatively talented at those sports, but it meant that I was almost pushed out of those sports. So I'd kind of lost um, the love of that. And, and I did go to the hockey and the netball trials at the university, but I didn't feel like I was the same as the other girls there. You know, that I didn't feel confident enough to try and break into their social cleats. Um So actually that individual sport meant that for me, I was able to determine how hard I worked and um, how much effort I put in and I wasn't reliant on anybody else. And I don't know, maybe, maybe some psychologist would have uh, <laughs> something to say about the fact that, well, I was in a weight controlled sport, but also that I was in a sport where essentially you're punishing yourself, aren't you? <laughs> Somebody's punching you in the face. But actually being able to take control of how I responded to somebody hitting me has been a massive part of how well I've been able to take control of my thoughts in all areas of my life.
0: Wow, so there's a real parallel, isn't there, or there's a principle in terms of, you know, what the sport meant and means to you in terms of your life journey as well. And, you know, and, and was that a large part around your, you know, you mentioned your eating disorder and actually kind of your recovery from that or through that?
1: Yeah, definitely in the early part of my career, my weight control. So making weight was really unhealthy. You know, uh-huh. I would... Um, really not consider my nutrition at all okay. and I sort of got to a point in my career where it wasn't possible to continue like that if I wanted to progress that was all right until I was round, sort of knocking on that British title level and then I realized that you can't just do one thing well you have to look at all of those facets of your life and it's the same for everybody isn't it you know those things that are fundamental to an athlete are really fundamental to everybody's well-being how well i fuel myself how well i sleep and recover you know and, and the management that i've got around my emotional control and that desire to step beyond where i was really made me consider how well i took care of those different different facets
0: so, Rachel, when did you know you were any good at this? You know, you, you're, you're walking to this gym and you're having a little go on your own with your friend. And then obviously there must have come a time when you thought, wow, this, you know, this is obviously I'm connecting with the sport. I'm actually quite good at this or?
1: or... No, <laughs> no. Uh, I didn't win any fights for quite a while. <laughs> um, <you> know, <laughs> um, I really just wanted to to show my coach that it was all right for me to fight. He didn't want me to fight. He didn't think I should fight. Um, And it was really my way of sticking it to him. You know, I'm going to fight anyway. I might be losing all the time, but I'm going to keep fighting partly because it wasn't just my coach. It was lots of people around me who didn't think I was a fighter. You know, I don't look like a boxer, whatever a boxer looks like. You know, I don't come from a family where that's this kind of sport people play you know I, I was at university studying to be a physio the irony being that I'm a head physio now a neuro physio <laughs> so I treat people with head injuries <laughs> uh, I've learned some was... personal experience. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> people expected things that were different for me and I didn't want to conform to their expectations um I actually don't think I've ever believed that I was You know, I never walk into a gym and expect to be the best in the gym. I never, I I always think that um, I'm on a journey. I'm on a learning journey and that, you know, there's there's always people that are going to be better that I can learn from.
0: Yeah. And I'm picking up the idea of being a a bit of a non-conformist here or or breaking the rules or, you know, fighting against prejudice.
1: Is that a theme
0: that's come through in your career
1: and life? Um, I think because of that experience, really, um, I, I, I think I'm empathetic to the different challenges that people face. You know, they, when I work with young people and I, and I look at the start they have in life, it's easy to assume that people should just be able to pull themselves up. You know, you should just be able to, I've worked hard to get where I am, so you should be able to work hard to get where you are. That's not the reality for everybody. The reality is that for lots of people, um, the barriers that are put in place in, before they even start mean that they can never climb over them. And, you know, it's it's difficult to climb over that first hurdle unless you've either seen somebody do it or there's something that you're, I suppose, running away from. Um, and I think for me, that running away was from, I was running away from, falling into being the kind of person that that anorexic teenager was was heading towards
0: wow you know again really thinking about the um the, the key principles of what's motivating you what's dr- driven you in your career you know and again hopefully for a lot of people that are listening in here as you know them thinking about what what are, what's, what are they running towards or moving towards but also what are they moving away from you know and i'm hearing there was that kind of um tension or that battle early on in your, you know, in your life as to actually, am I, am I running away from something or moving away from something, or am I actually motivating and moving towards?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that moving away from where you don't want to be is made easier when you're moving towards a purpose, when you're moving towards something that's passion. you feel passionate about, you know, and, and I felt passionate about changing, the stereotype around women. When I started Thai boxing, women competed under different rules to men. And I remember the conversation that a coach, uh, a promoter uh, asked my coach and I whether or not we'd be prepared to be the first female fight under the same rules as the men. And up to that point, I'd never realized that I wasn't competing on a level playing field. I hadn't actually processed that information. You know, it hadn't occurred to me that people watching those fights viewed me differently. And not just the audience, but actually the judges and the governing body, that people expected that because I was a female, I wasn't able to compete for the same duration of time, that I wasn't able to, you know, deliver the same amount of contact or cope. I wasn't able to cope with the same stress as my male counterparts. And that, you know, it was a non-conversation really for me, absolutely. I'm prepared to, you know, we, we were the first female fight myself and a Dutch girl um, to, to compete under the same rules as the men. And probably out of all of the things that I've done in my career, that's one of the things that I think I'm most proud of. Because after that fight, all the women at the same elite level competed under those same rules. So
0: you've kind of really leveled the playing field, haven't you? you
1: know, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the, there were already some high profile female tie boxers who went before me who had created for themselves a really superstar persona even elevated themselves above some of their the the sort of male fighters um and they were challenging the the world of uh, sport and combat sports in in a different way um and you know i was just doing it in a slightly quieter um more subtle way but i think you know starting that progress that move towards that parity that equality yeah and i'm picking
0: up on the word you use there about really changing the world actually you know this is I, i'm curious again as to you know the 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 personal and the intrinsic kind of motivation or the the motivation for you to really change the world here and show that actually there's some parity between you know men and women's sport here and actually make a a bigger message on a more global scale, and it seems like there was as you 've come through your career, there was a, a real driving force to to make a real big difference. Is, is that
1: again a fair observation? Yeah, absolutely, and you know I, I'm really passionate about the power of sport. Sport is a great light to to shine across all different sections of the way that the world works. On on an individual level, you know, it teaches us about how we manage ourselves and and how we can drive goals and change and regulate our our daily life. But on a a more structural societal level, it really highlights where there is um, discrepancy, prejudice, difference and, you know, just the inequality across different um populations you know both in the country and across the world you know the opportunity isn't the same for everybody Um, and you know i fought out in thailand and trained with some of the thais out there and i I see for the women fighting out there you know i I will never forget i i fought bare knuckle out in thailand and um, the only way to win a bare knuckle fight is to knock your opponent out Um, If you get knocked out, you don't get paid, so there's a big driver to uh, obviously knock your opponent out because you're professional athletes, but I'll never forget winning, I won the fight, I knocked my my Thai opponent out, Thai national champion, I'll never forget the way they dragged her out of the ring, and it was almost, you know, it, it was the recognition that for the people supporting her in her team, she was essentially... Um, just a tool, a vehicle. Um, she was not, they didn't consider her in the same way that I knew my coach considered me, you know, and that really struck me, that really struck me.
0: Yeah, you were a commodity being used in a, in a system.
1: She, she was a commodity, she was a commodity to them. And I, you know, turned back to my coach, my corner, where if I'd have been the one that had been knocked out, my coach would have been. It would have been a completely different situation because he valued me and he valued me um, as as a person.
0: Richard, what's it like knocking somebody out? The sole purpose is that actually that's what you have to do because it, even now in boxing, you know, it's you don't need to go as far as that, do you, to win? You know, if you had to knock them out to get paid, that must be some some um, driving force. That what, what's that? What
1: was that like? Um, I've knocked a few people out in my career and I think up until the moment where I knock them out, I'm not, con- I don't have the, the mindset of I'm going in to fight a person. For me, it is very technical. So I'll visualize before the fight, the first movements that I'm going to to do. I'll have walked through that fight in my mind in a really technical way. And actually, the the moment the fight finishes by knockout, that's probably the first moment of that experience where that person becomes, I suppose, a person to me. Um, And I I, I don't know if that sounds really bizarre or odd, but up until that point, it's very technical. Um, It's very much about managing myself. So if I've taken a punch, managing my response to that in a way that's measured um, and in a way that's fitting with how we've trained and prepared for that fight
0: you you know you, you mentioned earlier on about the power of sport and you know obviously this is a combative sport you know you, you are there to hurt somebody arguably or to to win the, to win the bout of the fight but I'm, I'm, I want to just broaden this out a little in terms of actually the power and the lessons that you picked up and learnt from your experience in the sport Can you share any of those? We've talked before about our passion for the difference that this sport vehicle can make in in changing individuals and communities. And, you know, you've alluded to that. I'm just really keen to understand what have you learned? What have been the greatest takeaways for you?
1: Uh, Mindset is everything. uh, And your conversation with yourself determines your outcome. So if your conversation is around, I'm not good enough, I can't do it then you set up everything about the way that you approach the situation so that you'll fail. What, whatever your language and set up in your mind is, what, regardless of the situation, everything about you changes based on that self-talk. So my posture changes. So if I'm thinking in my mind, this is going to be an argument, then you know I become more aggressive in nature. And it's really about checking what your own talk is what is it that you're saying to yourself that's guiding your response to every situation and i think that for me has been the the most transformational um lesson from sport because it's shaped the way that i am now able to approach everything else so i don't approach things where in the past i I may and i'll give you a really simple example you know i I walk into the school playground um and i think the pre-sport version of me would have felt judged by all the other mothers. So I would have, and I would have anticipated people were talking about me or looking at me or judging the way that I look. And actually, the the post-sport version of me is able to check that that is still, you know, that's still maybe a little bit of an immediate trigger thought for me uh, because of my history and the way that, but but my post-sport version is able to recognize that that is a thought and it's not the truth. Um, And so that changes the way that I approach that situation. So if I let my immediate subconscious negative thought take control, you know, I'd go and hide in a corner and I wouldn't engage and I'd assume people were making negative assumptions about me. And the version of me that's able to recognise that thought is able to go and engage with people and, you know, make it a positive experience, not just for me, but for them as well.
0: How How did you learn to change that self-talk you know and i'm i'm also sat here listening to your you know fascinating story about how you've learned to moderate your self-talk so yeah how how did you learn to do that and did you learn to do that or did the sport teach you to do
1: that um that definitely a bit of both So I think I was not aware that I had self-talk at all (laughs) until (laughs) one particular fight. (laughs) um, And it was uh, the first fight I ever won. And it was also the fight where my coaching team decided not to come with me. Uh, The fight was in Plymouth. Obviously, we're in Yorkshire. So I went to the fight completely by myself. Um, Well, actually, my sister came with me, uh, but she had no idea about sport and no idea about boxing. And we also had no kit. So we go to the fight um, and some lovely coach in the changing room has wrapped my hands for me. I had no idea what I was doing, but I go to the ring by myself and I lose the first round. The first round, I go back to my corner. And usually when you go to your corner, somebody puts a stool down, they're waving a towel in your face, squirting water on you, shouting things at you. So it's just noise, 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 noise. And I was stood there alone, nobody saying anything. whole room chanting my opponent's name um and what i noticed was the noise in my head was really unhelpful and i started to hear the conversation in my head and you know i'm hearing people chanting tammy's name but what i'm hearing in my head is this is awful you're going to lose this is terrible you're no good at this everybody's right and and I. Almost just checked myself. I spotted um, Mastray who became part of my coaching team after this. And he was a really positive advocate of mine. And he just gave me a thumbs up um, and triggered for me a thought that I have to to think differently here. And actually my thought at that time was, all right, I don't care. I don't care if I win. I don't care if I lose. I don't care if everybody's laughing at me. I, I just need to try. I just need to be brave enough to try. Um, and, and actually with the second round, I knocked her out. That was my first knockout, my first win. Um, but on the way home, it was a long drive back up from Plymouth. (laughs) Um, and you know, my Fiat 500 didn't go very fast. So I had a lot of time to think and reflect. And the reflection that I had on the way home there was, this actually is partly my fault. This isn't just about the barriers that are in front of me, the coaching that I'm not getting. This is about the way that I'm stepping into the ring. And I sort of realised that I'd talked myself out of everything. You know, I'd talked myself out of being good enough because it was a bit of an excuse. If I didn't try, I could come out of the ring and say, well, you didn't try, so it doesn't really matter that you lost. You know, and I never gave myself the opportunity. or was never brave enough to say, come on, you've got this.
0: It sounds like you were stopping, you were hindering yourself. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. probably such a common theme in the work that we do you know in the world out there and and I, and I think for me that's one of the greatest things about how sport can really try and help people kind of get out of their own way and help them inspire and aspire and be optimistic and ambitious for things and it's just such a great story it's such a key pivotal moment it sounds like for you in your career
1: yeah I think that self that sort of self-sabotage is really something that we all need to check in on ourselves don't we you know what is it that you are visioning for your life what do you imagine your life to be like and then do the habits that you've got every day conform to that vision because if they don't what fear is it that is stopping you from being brave enough to change those habits What is it that is holding you back in this moment that's preventing you from becoming that person that you see for yourself? Um, And I think for me, definitely, and I suspect this is the case for lots of people, it's the fear of not being good enough. It's the fear that if I put all these things in place, what if I don't get there? And how did you take that
0: forward then from that moment with that potential in the back of your mind, you know, the fear of not being good enough to actually becoming successful and being able to move forward in a really positive way? How did that transpire?
1: Uh, well, I gave up trying to be good enough, so I actually um, stopped caring about the result. So, I've never actually, from that moment, I have never put any stall into whether I've won or lost. Um, it's pretty much irrelevant to me. Uh, and actually that's probably partly why I feel slightly embarrassed when people ask me about my sporting success because the, the medals, the belts, those accolades, they aren't what has been my success in this journey. What's been my success are the micro goals every day. You know, the being able to see progress in how much weight I can lift, how far I can run. You know, it's being able to see progress in those small changes. Um, and I think removing the need to rush towards a really big goal um, took away that pressure for me, took away um, the the fear of failing. Because if I didn't lift 100 kilos today, then I had a, another chance of doing it tomorrow. So although my coaching team ultimately helped me plot out a development plan that took me to those successes, actually. My eye wasn't on the ultimate goal. It was on, what am I doing today?
0: And is that a principle then that you take into your life still now, you know, outside of sport and, you know, with your family and so on and the work that you're doing now?
1: Yeah, I love that, that you know, the, the typical controller, controllable adage of uh, sport, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> um, that, that really is the, one of the things that I manage my day by. So what can I control in this moment that will improve the outcome of whatever the situation is? So whether that's um, in the way that I'm responding to an emotional child or whether that's a, in the way that I'm you know, managing the washing up, what, what can I control in this moment um, that moves me closer towards a positive outcome? Um, and, and I think not having big things to consider makes life more manageable because we're all juggling 50 different things at once, aren't we? But actually that focus and your attention on the small micro controllables means that we make progress more effectively.
0: Moving you on through your career then, you've kind of shared um, one of your greatest sort of inspirational successes, a moment which really transformed you on. It's not like me to come towards a, a, a negative or a low patch, but share an experience where you were really quite in in a dark place but you managed to pull yourself back out using some of those techniques
1: so my f- the f- my first cruciate rupture <laughs> oh. um i was at a point in my career where you know rachel the thai boxer was my identity so i made my living out of going and talking about being rachel the thai boxer um, i went around clubs inspiring people to also become thai boxers. You know, everything that I did in my day was tied up around that identity. And, um, I went to a club in Leeds um, a, a girls group. I was on behalf of sport England there to inspire the girls, to take part in martial arts. And the coach decided that I ought to demonstrate a jumping, spinning roundhouse kick. And that one of the girls would hold the pad for me. Unfortunately, as I'm spinning through the air, I, in a millisecond clock that this girl isn't actually holding the pad anywhere near her head. <laughs> so have, you know, that millisecond to, to make the decision about knocking her out or pulling the kick, um, and pull the kick midair, land funnily, um, you know, rupture my ACL, my PCL, my MCL, you know, the, the whole shebang. Um, And essentially end my ability to kick or to be kicked through that leg. You know, and I sometimes think about this. It it was a choice, a one second choice um, that changed the course of my whole life. And I think that opportunity um, to experience having everything taken away and then looking at how you rebuild with the knowledge that I'd gained from being a Thai boxer, um, was really important for me. I was a, a tie boxing champion by accident. You know, I, I had no plan, I had no ambition, I had no goal and had no structure really. Um, at the beginning of my career, it, it was accidental. I was a boxing champion by design. So while I was sitting there, you know, ice on my knee, very fortunately for me, at the same time as I ruptured my cruise shirt, Uh, The governing body for boxing shifted the age limit. So they moved it from 35 to 40, which meant that I suddenly was eligible to box. And I remember sitting with some, I had a cry, an ice cryocuff and, a, a, you know, some different um, stuff on my leg to get rid of the swelling. I got some really good support around rehab and, and I wrote on a piece of card in a little envelope, I wrote uh, my goal um, to box for England. And then on the outside of that card, um, I wrote, um, m- may my deeds outrun my words, um, you know, and that moment that setting that goal um gave me a a real structure and plan and an opportunity to put into place all the things that I talk about you know so all of the things that I know are important but that I hadn't had to put into practice before in something new so you know I think a year after I was able to box that I was a British champion and I had You know, I'd reached that goal, I'd been able to box for England. Um, But it was about those small things. So that practicing my mindset, doing my visualization, making sure my daily habits were were on point. You know, eat, sleep. If you don't get those right, the rest of your life falls apart, really, doesn't it?
0: Gosh, and so you were a boxing champion at what age? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) 37. I think I may still be the oldest uh, England boxer. I don't think anyone else has boxed for England that has been older than me yet. Um, we'll probably have to fact check that. But I think at the time I was definitely the oldest boxer because the age had just shifted.
0: Gosh, that's an am- amazing story. But I guess in terms of also seeing how that horrendous Debilitating injury and how you spun it round in, in in a relatively short period of time as well, I guess, because you know you don't recover from those physically very quickly, I guess, but you've also mentally you've had to to work the two in parallel to become successful. Yeah.
1: And boxing is a really different sport to Thai boxing. I think that in a non-contact sport, you know, a person who doesn't do contact sport, that they imagine. That you can just shift really easily from one sport to another, but actually I had to change my stance, my movement, uh, all of my strategy. It it was essentially like learning a completely new sport. What I had was I had experience of being under pressure and I had all these strategies in place. But the, the the thing that motivated me most of all around going into boxing was that I wanted to, well, I wanted my children to see what it meant, to set a goal, to put into place processes to to do it and then to achieve it or not achieve it, you know, and to reflect on what you could have done differently in order to get closer. Um, But, but I also had got used to in the school playground, having conversations with other mothers who felt like there wasn't an opportunity for them to go out and aspire to their greatness, whatever that was. Uh, and uh, I wanted to showcase that it, it's all right. It's all right to be a mom and still have aspirations and dreams and actually to go and use the things that you've learned being a mother. And, you, <laughs> you know, to, to show your children that you can have dreams and that they can have dreams as well. Um, I, I wanted that to be a vision for people.
0: And, and also, to sh- I mean, I know you did it earlier in your career, but also show yourself actually how you, you built yourself back up and put those things into play. I think it's just fantastic. And, you know, and I love your modesty in terms of, you know, one of them was by chance and the other one was more by design because you've actually driven it and controlled it. So, you know, not, not only being a shining, shining light for yourself, but also for others is, is kind, of, kind of shining very light and bright here as we're, as we're talking about it. So, yeah. Rachel, I'm re- I'm really conscious also. Then you know you've had a couple of sort of phases in your career, and I'm wondering what the next big challenge is now that you've become a boxing champion. Do you do you have another big goal? Uh,
1: well, obviously, I've reached the age limit for boxing, so my Olympic <laughs> yeah. uh, dream would, is out of the window. Um, I started playing hockey again um, last season. So once I retired from boxing, that actually meant that I could do other sports that with no risk of damaging my hands. Uh, so I. Um, have managed to be selected for the North of England team, for the Masters team. I might try and get in the England team, um, the Masters England team. We'll, uh, we'll see uh, how, how I progress in that sport. Um, and, you know, sport for me, is re- goals in sport are really important. I'm a very data-driven person. I like to be able to see progress, but also to have some shape and structure um, around what I'm doing. Um, so, you know, I'm working towards, um, weightlifting. That's a sport that I can be in control of completely. Um, what I realize my fundamental human flaw in a team sport is that I like to control what's happening. (laughs)
0: How
1: do you manage? (laughs) I'm I'm slightly frustrated by, um, what I perceive to be different levels of effort. Um, and I recognize that in myself, that that's not a helpful element for team sports um, and I'm really working hard on being more empathetic to different people's um, contribution and and way they're approaching the sport.
0: How do you manage yourself with that because there'll be lots of people listening who will be within team environments whether it be sort of recreational or elite where there is a, a difference in perception and I just wonder how you're managing yourself.
1: Yeah I try and think that I'm not Living that person's lived experience. So, I don't know how well they slept yesterday. I don't know what their conversation was with their spouse as they left the house. I don't know if their mother's ill. So, how they show up on the day is really dependent on all of those other things that are going on in their life. So, trying to hold that empathy um in it and i try and do that in every situation you know angry drivers whatever i'm not living that experience with that person i don't know what's driven them to feel like that in that moment Um, i won't say that it's not a challenge you know i I do sometimes (laughs) check myself on the pitch going come on (laughs) but, but it is the, the approach that I try and take, you know, that approach it with empathy. So then you can support. People don't thrive when they're being shouted down. People aren't able to perform if the voices around them are negative voices, because that then becomes your voice inside, doesn't it? So really trying to check myself and make sure that everything, no, what, no matter what my inside is thinking, whatever I'm saying to my teammates is always going to be something that builds them up
0: where does competition sit in all of this for you because you know you've you've competed all along you know to to the top of your various sports and i'm wondering you know is competition really still a driving force for you or can you can you settle yet <laughs>
1: no, you don't want to play monopoly with me <laughs> um competition i think is um because it's an outcome so you can Understand where you are in terms of progress with an outcome. So it's not necessarily about the, um, the over, you know, we, our hockey team at Harrogate last year, our masters team, we got to the national finals um, and we lost in the final. And obviously that was really annoying um, because I like to win everything. But, but it was the first time we'd fielded a team. I was organising it. I had no idea about any of the rules. It was just something that I'd seen. And I thought, let's see if I can find enough old people like me to join in a team. <laughs> um, and all the way through that, uh, I felt really driven towards winning every game. But I didn't feel disappointed when we lost. So I, I'd given everything. every little drop of energy that I had in that final I'd given to the game as had all my teammates but I wasn't disappointed by the loss and I think if you can um, put competition into perspective the competition can be a driver to success and to personal success uh, but what would be perceived as failure isn't then negative or detrimental not just to your enjoyment, but also to your self-esteem and the way that you're able to progress and through um, whatever your next phase is. Competition isn't about the result for me, it's about driving motivation.
0: Yeah, and I, and I, uh, I picked that up really strongly in terms of actually your journey, isn't it? Right from the, from the day dot, when you walk through the, fr- the front door of the uh, Tide boxing gym, those small steps that you kept talking about rather than winning competitions, but actually just looking to improve and, and give it your all was your success you know and that's what you've kind of lived off the back of by the sounds of it you know and I'm just yeah it's it's lovely to see you still using that mantra but you're actually you know striving to want to win but actually not falling off the edge of the cliff if it didn't all drop into place because I'm also sat here thinking gosh you've come into another new sport having not played it much before put a team together in a veterans and done very very well Um, (laughs) and you know that's pretty successful isn't it in in many ways (laughs) albeit, albeit not won the you know, the final hurdle, but actually done very well with it.
1: I think that's because I had lots of good team members yeah. <laughs> who had been playing for a long period of time, but also about inspiring belief. You know, we're really looking at how we've got the coach that we've got there. Um, Fletch is, is brilliant and inspires before every game belief in all of the girls. And I think because I believed we could win and I was leading from the front and I was saying, you know, and I was getting everybody together for extra training and I was. Leading with the expectation that we do well, people expect to do well. And when you expect to do well, you perform better. You know, it's all about that mindset. It goes back to that mindset, doesn't it? And what you expect, what your self talk is as you walk onto that pitch or you climb through those ropes or you sit down in a meeting or you talk to somebody on a street, whatever that self talk that's primed you for that encounter is, is the way that you'll approach and behave in that situation.
0: Actually, this might be a bit of an unfair question, but i'm now wondering you know what which which is more powerful here the, the the mindset and the psychological stuff or the physical stuff you know which outweighs the other
1: um well, I think if you'd seen me box, you'd probably understand that natural talent is not something that I hold. <laughs> probably if you see me do anything. <laughs> um, I uh, was trying to do a boxercise session that my friend had sent me on a video the other day. And I have an unbelievable lack of coordination and a total inability to follow even a simple boxing routine. <laughs> so I definitely don't think that I'm inherently naturally gifted. Um, I think even now people come to our gym and they'll see me on the pads. And unless my coach points out um, that I'm a champion, they would never imagine that to be the case. Um, I I definitely am of the thinking that obviously opportunity is the start of um, people's progress and the opportunity to facilities and coaching and um, competition are really critical. Uh, But it is about how you drive yourself talent in itself will get you nowhere will it talent needs to be met with both opportunity but but also the will the will and the desire um and, and the stickability. you know no no matter how good you are more, you know no matter your natural talent at some point you will face um a loss or a disappointment or a challenge or a barrier and it's whether or not you've got that ability to keep climbing when, when it's not going well. And I think that's really what determines success.
0: It sounds like when, when you've hit those sticky patches, you've kind of pulled on all of that experience that you've, you've picked up from it. You know, a, a really difficult start in life, where, you know, you had some big challenges to overcome, you know, and those barriers, you jumped over them or found a way over them and actually recall and bounce back to those places. Is that a theme of your story? You know, how to lift yourself up and when you drop down you lift yourself back up and you keep going and keep going
1: it fits really well doesn't it with the boxing analogy i can't tell you how many times people have kicked <laughs> my legs out from underneath me and literally sat me down on the ring <laughs> or they uh, give me a slide dig in the ribs some of the bigger boys uh, but <laughs> but it but it is that isn't it you know if you sit down and you stay down then everybody moves on beyond you and the world moves on around you you know you, you have to be moving And whether that progress is slow or whether that progress is fast, so long as you're brave enough to get back up and go again, you're still moving forwards. Um, And I think that that's probably the way that I try and approach everything. You're never successful the first time at at anything, are you? It is about your ability to recognize that, understand that and not be defeated by that first challenge.
0: And with, that, with that principle in mind, I'm also really conscious, you know, you've, you've shared your, um, your sports journey in terms of the uh, activities that you've been involved in. What about your involvement in, in the wider sport industry? Because I know you're now transitioning into other areas of of business and working with you know, some key organisations like the Youth Sport Trust. So can you just share a little bit how you've used some of those key principles which you've lived by to transition into that world as well?
1: I'm really passionate and you know I drive derive my energy from having that purpose of changing people's lives or it's not me changing their lives it's giving giving people whether they're young people or whether they're you know people in business it's showing them the tools in order to take control and change their own lives You, you can't do it for anybody but for I think those of us that have been in sport and that have lived this experience of failure, of resilience, of taking control of those things that we can every day, I think we understand this at a a level, almost at a level where we don't recognize that that's the way that we're managing our lives. And if you haven't had that experience of sport, then actually even something as simple as how do I control my emotion when I'm under pressure becomes something that can prevent a person from you know doing well at school or prevent them from reaching their potential in the workplace. And it's a an almost inherent natural part of sport and sporting success, um, but probably a part of that's missing from that wider social conversation. You know, mm-hmm. that those things that athletes do on a daily basis are really the fundamentals of human performance, whatever the environment. Mm-hmm. So those lifestyle behaviours and those psychological tools really are relevant to you, whether you're a a primary school pupil or whether you are um, heading up, you know, a a large corporate.
0: And I think given the the situation that we're in at the moment in in the world with the the pandemic and the big um, coronavirus and actually things are changing, I have a real sense that those kind of key attributes and approaches are going to be ever so much more needed as we kind of start you know re-engaging in a new way of working and being and actually some people are going to hit some quite hard times so actually calling on those really key habits of those human performance components that you share is going to be really important you know and, and, and are you sharing those through some of the organizations that you work with?
1: Um, yeah so, so the work that I'm um, I do really is about upskilling people around those tools so um whether they're young people or whether they're you know business people in business that the principles are the same but uh, but it's about how we uh, translate that into the language that suits the audience and you know we're we're really relevant here in sports stories because story is part of that and i think you build a connection with people when you're able to share a story and an experience about how something has been useful and relevant to changing your outcome and when they see that through story and they see the relevance of it through that story it becomes more relatable and it becomes achievable as well you know i'm an ordinary person sharing a story about doing something that not many people have been able to do but i've only done it by doing the things that everybody is able to do you know and whatever your world champion status it whatever that is for you whether that's you know in business or in your a-levels it's possible for every single person to attain that potential by taking really simple steps you know and those steps are the same for us all
0: well an amazing story um, that you've you've shared for us rachel you know and thank you because there's so many little gems in there which i just hope people can grasp onto and I I take very strongly from what you're saying it's about individuals taking those tools and and using them in the best way that suits them to keep moving forward towards their goals and as you have said a number of times as we've spoken today I think you can't do it for them I can't do it for them but we can definitely help them take certain steps access certain tools find little ways um, and hopefully that the story that you've shared today um, will really inspire uh, enthuse engage inform a number of different people And just before we kind of wrap things up, what I'd like to do is take us to a place which I know many of the listeners really like, is uh, to ask you some sort of quick-fire questions and hopefully get a couple of real nuggets, which might, again, add to other people's toolboxes. So I'm going to fire some questions at you. Um, I I hope you've got some answers for them, but let's go with the (laughs) the ones that come to mind. So we've not mentioned anything around sort of books that you've referred to, but what, what sort of books in your career or more recently have really inspired or informed you that would be useful to share with others.
1: um well i am an average reader and there's about 20 books on my bedside table at all times oh. um i think a really actionable book for people is a miracle morning Hal El rod um that you've probably come across that before but the steps that they're described in there are a great way to set up your day um so i think that would be my starting point for anybody looking for development on a a personal journey. Um, because it's the morning as well. So the whole of your day then is set up in a really positive way. The, um, I like the daily daily stoic. I think it's called Ryan holiday. Um, I think is the uh, author. Uh, it's, um, every day on each date, there's a different thought, Uh, So today was really relevant. Actually, it was about um, Plato's view of the world and being able to draw yourself back and look at the universe from a wider perspective and to understand actually that, you know, no matter how big your house or how many cars you have, when we're looking at you from space, everybody's the same. You know, when we think about what's happening in the world at the moment and the way that uh, different communities are experiencing the world, I think there's a really important place for us all to be doing that, you know, to look at the privilege that we have and the opportunities that we have that aren't available to everybody. And if we were able to remove ourselves from our own position of comfort, actually, we'd probably be able to empathize more with some of the challenges that other people face. Wow,
0: um, sounds like a really good book, I know, a, a, yeah. a, and also a good starting place for every day, as you say.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, um, I like the 4-Hour Work Week, Tim Ferriss yeah. book. It made me rethink the way that I manage my time. I think that, you know, it wasn't necessarily relevant to the work that I'm doing or what I'm looking to try and do in the world, uh, but it was really relevant um, to how I think about the way that I structure my working day. Um, and then the other book that I like, um, I'm doing a master's in psychology and I like that the body keeps the score. Um, and I think if you consider the way that you approach situations, having an understanding of what's happened at a neurological level, um, based on your life experiences will really explain some of your innate response. But I think it's also really relevant as parents that we understand the the way that our children experience the world um and that you know thinking about the lockdown and the the stress and for some children this will be a real period of trauma and we need to be conscious of that that even for children you know my children are in a very privileged position they have two living parents we have lots of opportunity access to lots of space but even for for them they may perceive this as a traumatic event that um will shape their central nervous system in a way that we may not observe for many years
0: Wow, well, we could really talk about that for so much more because, I think <laughs> yeah. it, 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 and, I, and i'm also fascinated in that area because i think these times are, are, are as you say we, we don't really know what's really going on but we have a good empathy maybe an understanding of the potential of what might be happening so we could maybe come back to that at some stage (laughs) and the neurological side of things you know, is, is, is also a massive area of interest for me because I think that's really played a big part. And I I have, I'm a strong believer in terms of our, you know, our, our, our story or our history and our pathway really informs who we are, you know, both on an emotional level and on a neurological level and on a physical level. So it's, it's, um, you know, we've really touched on big parts here today in terms of the mind and the body links. And I think it's, uh, again, such an intriguing area. But let's not go there for now.
1: (laughs) That's another three-hour podcast. Come back for another No,
0: that'll be good. It'll be good. Um, In terms of the world that we're in at the moment, you know, technology is quite big. And do you have a fallback piece of technology or a piece of software which is your guiding light and you wouldn't go anywhere without it?
1: Uh, so I have an Apple Watch that I like. I, I prefer some of the functionality on my old Mac Garmin watch, but um, my, I like my Apple Watch because it measures my heart rate variability through the night. Um, and what's really critical for me um, is about how well I'm recovering. And when you start to monitor some of the metrics about your your physiology, you, you and you'll notice yourself. You know, if you you might have been in bed for seven hours, but you still get up and you feel like you're not ready for the day. And then you can track what are the habits that I've done before I got into bed and actually look at how that's impacted on my readiness to manage myself the following day. So my Apple watch linked to the auto sleep app, which um, is really useful and gives you a daily readiness score. It's a brilliant indicator of your well-being, And it's also that heart rate variability is a great indicator of how well your autonomic nervous system is functioning. So, an indicator for how well you're coping with stress that's a useful tool just in looking at do i need to do something differently the um i like i like my fitness pal as well just because um i mean i I don't need to track my nutrition in the same way that i did when i was competing as a boxer but i think for anybody who's looking to um improve their nutrition that's a really useful tool wow
0: okay some couple of real gems there and some insight behind it hey eh, Rachel into the, the value <laughs> that these pieces of software and, and technology gets bring okay so how do you currently prepare yourself mentally and physically to be the best Rachel can be each day
1: well, sleep is my number one thing so without good sleep and that is tied into the habits that you've got in the morning and the habits that you've got at night but sleep is definitely the, the key and what is good sleep well Sleep is about not just a duration. I mean, you know, the, the, I, I, um, I studied the neuroscience of sleep. And when you look at the impact of sleep on the structure and function of your brain, you suddenly become very <laughs> keyed into how critical it is for our longevity and our healthy longevity. Um, and, and it's about having that restful sleep. So not just staying in bed for hours, but actually getting into the habit of, making sure that your routine gives you restful sleep. Um, And this is really, really critical for children. I mean, it's it's the one thing that I am, um, I mean, it's the thing that I am most fixed on as a parent is making sure that my children have not just adequate sleep, but also quality sleep. So we have a rule about no technology upstairs, at all for me or them or my husband nobody is allowed any technology upstairs um, the bedtimes are the same whether it's summer holidays or uh, school day we're really 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 looking at how we maximize the, the usefulness of sleep um, because it's critical you know if we don't sleep well it impacts on every single aspect of our life whether that's our weight management whether that's our emotional regulation or whether that's our ability to learn or perform
0: Wow, okay, great stuff. Well, let's keep, I'll keep moving us on. Again, we could delve into that, so uh, I, know. I hope we don't mind <laughs> moving on, because uh, we need to. Um, if you were to uh, win the lottery tomorrow and have a significant amount of money, um, how would you spend it?
1: Well, I don't need anything, so I don't think I'd be buying anything for myself. Um, you know, um, I have a perfectly comfortable house. Um, I think I would invest it in youth charity. So whether that's Youth Sport Trust or another youth charity um, or my own charity, but, but it would be in looking at how we impact on young people. And if we look at the rise of adolescent mental health problems and the uh, rise in suicide for young people, uh, and even if we consider how the world will look for them going forwards, um, you know, the economic impact of this period um, is going to challenge our young people in a way that I have certainly never experienced. Um, I think we need to skill our children. We need to tool them up um, in a way that is different to the way that we experience childhood. Um, so, you know, it would be something really, if it was a lot of Euro millions, win it, it'd be something really revolutionary.
0: Oh good, <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm on your page as well. That's the sort of thing I, I would love to do. Um, so let's hope between us we can win it. and Invest <laughs> yeah. in good money. Take yourself back. What advice would you give to your, a teenage version of Rachel? Um, your story and your experience?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, probably that it's all right to fail. I think that, um, you know, eating disorders are very much driven by that desire to take control. And when you don't feel like you're in control of elements of your life, you you take control of the one thing as a young person you are in control of. And that's, you know, what food you put in your mouth. Um, and that. For me, was very much driven by um, a fear of failure, a fear of um, you know being not accepted, a fear of um, you know not being good enough. Um, and I think that would be my advice: alright, fail, be brave enough to try.
0: Yeah, and again, a, a massively um, pertinent and relevant message: that, and it's it's okay to fail, and it's you know go ahead and give it a go, try. So I think it's it's simple words, but very powerful meanings. Moving on. Last couple of questions, if I may. Um, Which three people have most positively impacted on you and your career?
1: Uh, my great uncle, Bernard, who lived, he is my number one. Uh, he uh, lived in New Zealand. So we used to write each other letters uh, every week. So I wrote to him every week when I was a child. Uh, and I only met him maybe five or six times, but he was a wrestler. And um, he, in the <laughs> he, in the days of giant haystacks um, and yeah. wrestling being on television, he was a proper wrestler. Um, but he was also really forward thinking. So, you know, As a young child, maybe six, seven years old, he introduced me to yoga and he introduced me to um, the thought around that mindset. And although it didn't really have an impact on me until much later on, he planted a seed in me um, that has been part of my wellness journey. And all of the things that he talked about are now all of the things that are part of public conversation, but were really not part of public conversation, you know, 35 years ago. Um, he was really really powerful for me in terms of um, just support, positive support. Um, I think that um, Mr. Gilgrass, my PE teacher, my primary PE teacher who I've mentioned already, uh, just for that message, you know he also um, entered us into a cross-country competition and he made us go running every day. And he'd come and get us and in the school holidays we'd go running with the PE teacher. I don't know if you could do that nowadays but (laughs) (laughs) and he would get us and you know a few of us would go run around the streets um but that lesson was all about success requires effort and the more effort you put in the more success you're likely to have and so he was really powerful and then probably um well definitely my um master a my one of my Thai boxing coaches just for his unfailing belief so he even I met him when I'd already started fighting and I had never won. Um, but he believed at that point, the first time he saw me fight and lose, I think probably because I stood up more times than, <laughs> than most people would in a fight. Um, he believed that success was possible for me. And I think his vision was a bigger vision than I had. He had a vision that he would make me the best in the world. And that's what he set out to do.
0: Gosh, and it sounds like you believed in him and he believed in you, and it kind of became a a good match. Absolutely. And my very final question, given the honesty and the openness that you've given about your story and the hopeful impact that we would have, and I know the impact you've had by sharing parts of it already in the the work that you do, is a question of whose sports story would you really like to hear and why?
1: Um, Well, I... I, um have heard parts of Steve Brown's story. I don't know if you know Steve Brown. Um, He is on Countryfile at the moment as a presenter. Uh, And I've heard really short snippets of his story. And obviously it's a really traumatic story, um, the the way he acquired his spinal injury. Um, But what I've seen and I've observed, we've delivered at events together where he's been in one room and I've been in another room and the people coming out of his room are always in tears. But so uplifted, you know, so really that emotional connection and just to hear that full story of um, how he moved beyond something that really is inconceivable for most of us to make his life so different to where it was at the time and actually to turn A really negative experience and more negative than any experience I've had um, into something that's been so powerful for not just himself but for lots of people around him.
0: That is um, a story we do hear and sometimes they just feel so far out of reach but it sounds like he's he's really lands for people and as you say sometimes it it really puts some perspective doesn't it hearing stories like that And, and all of our stories in some ways just hearing them puts some perspective on our own lives and as you say I really liked your analogy earlier on about kind of going up into space and looking back down on earth and seeing what, what is really going on. And actually that we've all should really look back in and count our blessings because we've actually got a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, everybody's got a story, haven't they? And sometimes the story that we're telling ourselves is the thing that's holding us back. And so maybe it's checking in on what that story is. is. No. And today's a new day. Every day you've got an opportunity to shape what your story becomes but really it starts with making the decision to change.
0: Well, Rachel, again, we could open that up and go quite a long way with it because it's just really uh, meaningful, powerful stuff. And I I just want to kind of close us down today by asking, if any of the listeners would be interested to make contact with you or find out a little bit more about the work that you're doing in so many different domains and I know we've often laughed a little bit about the fact we do portfolio things because it really piques our interest but also I think there's so much learning from the various domains and opportunities and experiences that you have and how they they can kind of complement and engage with one another so if anybody was interested in finding out what you're doing and where um, how might they be able to make contact
1: uh, they can get me through the work athlete website so they'll find me on there um, or on all the social media platforms as rachel mckenzie or rach f mckenzie um i'm pretty accessible and you, google me you probably find me if you google <laughs> um but if anybody does want to get in touch or has any questions you know my purpose is really about making sure that people have an opportunity to um to feel good about themselves to to do the things that empower and feel powerful to them and if I can support anybody in any way then uh, you know that that really is what drives me. Well
0: on that note uh, I'd really like to thank you because you've certainly made me feel good today and I think you've really cemented actually the purpose of the Sports Stories podcast and its intention and purpose I'm trying to really make a difference, inspire people, enthuse them, engage them, inform them because I think sport as we've said along the way, sport really is a vehicle to change and, and in times like we're in, sport I think can actually really help people feel good about themselves and, and bring some happiness and joy back into their lives and you know there's there no more pertinent time now than today when you know the world's beginning to open back up again and seeing how we've lost and missed sport and actually bringing it back in can probably bring some real positive energy and Rachel you've really epitomized that today by sharing your story your journey but also some of the real great tips around your, your positive mindset uh, and psychology around that but also you know some real basic things around making sure you, you get some really good habits performance habits you know sleep nutrition but also your honesty around how that's all sort of fallen out of some of the real big challenges that you faced earlier on so thank you ever so much for sharing all of that today and it would be really really special if we could maybe meet up again and talk about some of those other little doors that we didn't open because you've got so much to offer and i think we could really add a load of value so thank you once again it's been a real great pleasure Thank you. Well, where do we start picking that conversation? So many nuggets of information and inspiration. A couple of themes that jumped out for me were the importance of the mindset you have and how the self-talk can impact on the outcome. This seems to be a common theme throughout most of the elite performers and how they have risen to success, but also overcome adversity and setbacks. Another theme seemed to be the ability to set small achievable steps that in turn positively supported the direction towards her purpose and goal. I was also blown away with her drive and determination to break stereotypes and prejudices and to see how having an eating disorder has been used to positively motivate her through her life. It's an amazing story. So with these themes in mind I'd like to pose the following questions. What are you running away from and how could you use this positively? Secondly how are you stepping into your day-to-day life and what can you control? If you'd value exploring any of these questions further please feel free to contact me at www.thesummitpartnership.com where I offer personal and professional coaching support I'd love to hear from you and lastly the usual reminders there is a new podcast coming out next Monday please comment and give feedback at www.sportstories247.com I'd also really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts if you've enjoyed and valued the show today as this helps others find the show and get the same value as you. Which now leaves me only to wish you a great week ahead and I look forward to having you with me, Dave Levine, next week on the Sports Stories Podcast.